taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. everyone we're going to go ahead and get started hope everyone's doing well if you're joining with us live uh, be sure to let us know if you can hear okay uh, if you can hear the, the stream okay the audio okay uh, we've gone back to uh, uh, the regular mic I've been using uh, had to switch mics for a little while and uh, because the other one was uh, uh, the cord wasn't working quite right uh, so uh, I've gone back to the regular standard one of my uh, uh, microphone here you can see so uh, just give me a comment let me know if you can hear all right and we'll go ahead and get started here um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 uh, that's where we're going to be and so Hebrews chapter 6 if you happen to have a prayer request you'd like to share uh, I encourage you to leave it in the comment bar as we go through uh, so we'll give just a minute or two and see if we can get uh, some people logged on here. I know it's late. Uh, I know a lot of people are coming on after the fact, and that's fine. Uh, in fact, you can go to bellatorchristie.com and let me type in the website in the comment bar. Uh, this is, um, just going to do this right quick. If you go to bellatorchristie.com, uh, you can find the podcast uh, for this lesson immediately following the uh, Bible study tonight. So uh, we're going to see if we have any prayer requests, and if not, we'll give it a minute or two. And uh, if not, we'll go ahead and get started. Again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 tonight. Uh, that's where we're going to be, Hebrews chapter 6, as we're continuing this Bible study uh, through the book of Hebrews. And this lesson is entitled, uh, Hebrews, the Supremacy of Jesus or the Supremacy of Christ. Uh, I think on one video, sometimes it's, I, I work Jesus, sometimes Christ. But, of course, we know Jesus is his name, Jesus of Nazareth, and Christ is the title that he has, that being uh, the Messiah. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Uh, we know that there are uh, still some COVID outbreaks going on. We know a lot of churches, a lot of places are still continuing to meet online. And we just thank you for this opportunity uh, to be able to, uh, to, to bring forth your word uh, through this social media account. And we just pray, Lord, that you would bless over the people who may be joining us live. Uh, we pray for those who may um, come back and pick up this information a little bit later. Uh, they may come to the website. They may come to the Facebook account, the YouTube account, uh, or they may just listen to the podcast. And we just pray that you would bless them today <clears throat> and you would help us as people to be faithful to the word that you've given us, to the faith to which you've entrusted us, and to, to the compassion and relationship that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us as you do. And we just pray, Lord, that we might be able to bestow that love uh, to someone else, but most importantly, uh, back to you. And so again, we thank you for your blessings upon us. Have your will and your way in this study today. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, if you're uh, joining us, if you, uh, let, us, let us know if you're having trouble hearing. Uh, if you'll leave a comment there. I think everything looks like it is uh, going on, so uh, we, are, we, should be, we should be a go. All right, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to be, Hebrews chapter 6. And the title of this lesson is uh, the uh, Why You Should Endure with Jesus. Why You Should Endure with Jesus. There are 20 verses in chapter 6, and so um, we're going to go through this tonight. Um, Looking, make sure, uh, hold on, give me just, just bear with me a moment. Just double check a couple things here. And we should be a go. All right. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 6, why you should endure with Jesus. And we are in verses 1 through 20. Uh, we've been looking thus far throughout our study at ways in which Jesus is superior and supreme over different offices. We've seen already that he is superior to the priests. He is, he is the, the great high priest. He's superior to the role of prophets. He is the great prophet. We see that he is supreme above even the angels. And uh, there, there are many angelic beings and divine entities in heaven, but there are none like Jesus because he is the one and only, the one-of-a-kind Son of God. Uh, there is none other like him. You know, there is none other like him. So he is the one and only, the unique Son of God. So we see how he is superior. And again, the writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or Barnabas or Luke or, or, or whomever it may be, they're trying to let people know, and, and who are Hebrews, they're trying to let them know why they should stay with the faith that they've been taught. They shouldn't have any type of syncretistic theology going on. They should remain faithful to the message that has been given to them. So tonight we're going to look through these 20 verses in chapter 6. We're breaking this up into three sections. The first section is, in verses 1 through 8, we see that this endurance. So, so the writer is telling us in chapter 6 that we must endure with this message, with this relationship that we find in the risen Lord. And so, first of all, we see that endurance comes with the profession with possession. A profession with possession. There is, that God, whenever he comes in a person's life, he's going to do something to that person. He's going to bring about a change in that person's life. Now, the second section is verses 9 through 12. Endurance comes with evidence of possession. So there's profession with this possession, but there's also this evidence of this possession. Whenever a person comes to Christ and they've been transformed by the grace of God, people are going to know it. It's like I was telling my wife just tonight. Uh, whenever I go into a patient's room, I can a patient's room, I can know. You know, there's something special in that room. If that person has a relationship with Christ, you can just sense it. There's evidence of the Spirit of God working in that person's life. And there's just evidence of that. There are these fruit, called the fruit of the Spirit, we see manifested in a person's life if that person comes to faith. So, that's what we're going to look at. And then lastly, endurance comes with encouragement with possession in verses 13 through 20. So, key words, profession, uh, evidence, and encouragement. These three things uh, show us how uh, we, we can endure. So, 
Hebrews chapter 6 has been quite controversial for some time. Calvinists, Arminians, Wesleyans, and Molinists have debated these this passage for years. Does this chapter teach that one can lose their salvation, or does it simply provide assurance? Furthermore, what emphasis does this text place on Christian maturity? And so while we're not going to get too weighed down with the whole uh, theological controversy between Calvinists and non-Calvinists, uh, that's not the intent. We do want to emphasize maturity that we find in this chapter. So uh, we're going to see uh, that... Uh, uh, that's the wrong one. Okay, so things to look for. Look for the importance of further spiritual and intellectual development in the faith. God doesn't save you to leave you as you are. God saves you to transform you, to do a work in your life, and to make you into something better. He has a plan and purpose for your life, and He wants you to fulfill the calling He has placed on your life. Okay, so secondly, look for the importance throughout this, throughout this book. Look for the importance uh, that works play in demonstrating the validity of a person's faith. Now, works do not save you. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of your works is a gift of God. You can't save yourself. God does a work in your life. So, look at the... But however, while that's the case, understand that works accompany a person's faith. So, as, as James says that faith without works is dead. And what that simply means is that if there's no evidence of the divine manifestation in a person's life, then a person has to question whether that person truly has experienced the grace of God. So look for the assurances that come with a person's salvation. This is another thing to look for. So let's look at our first section. Endurance comes with profession with possession. Okay, it's not just merely a, a profession of faith. Uh, That's an empty profession of faith. There is a possession that comes along with it. A profession with possession. So let's first of all take a look at verses 1 through 3. A profession of faith and dead works. Okay, therefore let us leave the elementary teaching. Now remember in the last section, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we can't stay, we can't remain with the milk of God's Word, we need to grow into the, the meat and potatoes of God's Word. We need to grow and develop. We need to be nourished. We need to mature in our Christian faith. So he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on toward to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and we will do this if God permits. Okay, so Hebrews calls for individuals to move past fundamental elementary doctrines to deeper issues. And this is something that, that, that believers need to do. We, we can't be satisfied with the status quo. We need to allow God to develop us and move us and to make us into something great, something even better. Okay, so, um, all right. So he gives six elementary doctrines in this passage of Scripture. First of all, he talks about repentance from dead works. Repentance from de uh, dead works. 
This means a turning away from sinful actions and turning to a faith in God. Now, secondly, he talks about this faith in God, and we need to have this faith in God. This is not just a mere intellectual belief in the existence of God. Rather, it means that we entrust ourselves to God, we believe in God, and we trust ourselves to God. Okay, so third, we see baptism. Okay, so when a person gets saved, they need to be baptized. Okay? They need to be baptized. And what this merely means is this is an outward expression of an inward transformation. It's, it's, some people would say it's symbolic in nature, but there's something special about this. It identifies a person's entrance into the church of God. So there's also the laying on of hands and spiritual gifts. So this laying on of hands in many aspects talks about these, these spiritual gifts. So many times in the early church, a person would lay their hands on a person. And, and at that time, the Spirit of God would give, um, perhaps even give a person this spiritual gift at that time. Other times it may be different than that. But whatever the case may be, God gives us spiritual gifts. Okay, And we need to take advantage of that. There's also the resurrection. The key fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith is found in... In the resurrection. I don't see how it's possible for a person to lay claim on, on the Christian faith and deny the resurrection of Jesus. It's a fundamental doctrine. It's a fundamental doctrine that we must accept that Jesus literally rose from the dead on the third day. And that's something you can take to the bank, honestly. I think there's, there's we've talked about this and on the podcast and and um, and several different things that that there are good reasons for believing that Jesus literally physically rose again on the third day. Um, all right, let's take a look. Hold on a second. Uh, looks like we're having some video problems here. Let's see if that fixed it. All right, hold on just one second. Always got to be something. All right, well, hopefully hopefully it'll all come out in the wash in the end. All right, if you're having trouble watching this on Facebook, by the way, go over to the YouTube account. It looks like the YouTube account is still going on uh, pretty strong. So so we'll, we'll move on, uh, for, for especially for our, our viewers on YouTube. So anyhow, going back to the uh, lesson. And then finally, eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is the sixth and final major doctrine we need to accept as believers. So in verse 3, we see that people need to stand by the core Christian doctrines and not be inclined towards syncretism. A lot of times throughout the church's history, we have wanted to adopt other uh, beliefs that are, are contradictory to the Christian worldview in with the Christian doctrine. So we need to be we need to be we need to hold fast to the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, if a person asks, "What are the fundamentals of the Christian faith?" I think we find them, quite frankly, in the Apostles' Creed. I think we find them in the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed reads like is the following. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that means the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and of life everlasting. Amen. These are the fundamental doctrines uh, of the Christian faith. And we need to hold fast to those doctrines as well. Now let's look at verses 4 through 5. The warning of profession with no possession. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the power of the coming age. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, so... Uh, let me go ahead and read verse 6. And and those who have fallen away, this is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to content. So there's a great controversy on how we interpret these verses. So is it talking about the possibility of apostasy? Or is it talking about a hypothetical situation using rhetoric? Is it talking about the loss of rewards? Or is it talking about a disingenuous uh, type of Christianity. And there are different beliefs concerning this passage of Scripture. Now, I do believe that he's most likely using a rhetorical situation. Uh, so I th- because if you read the verse, it seems to be saying that if a person were to give up their faith and come back, they would have to re-crucify Christ all over again, which, quite frankly, is impossible. So it seems to me like there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek type of thing going on uh, in this passage of Scripture. It seems like he may be um, using a little rhetorical device to to get a point across. Because we do know that the believers had been enlightened. We do know that they had tasted the heavenly gift. We do know that they had shared in the Holy Spirit. And we do know that they had tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. So with that in mind... It, it seems like that he's using a rhetorical device to talk about uh, the, the absurdity that would happen for a person to re-crucify Christ. Now, in verse 6, uh, we see the consequences of profession with no possession. Now, we do know that a person can resist Christ to the point of having a hardened heart. And we see that in Romans one twenty-eight, and that's a scary place to be. When a person's heart grows hard, when it grows hardened, that is a dangerous state to find oneself. It would have taken a miracle to bring someone back to faith if they lost their salvation, as he says, re-crucifying Christ. True Christians may backslide, and I'm living evidence of a Christian who's backslide. I've backslid many times in my life, but will be brought back. Hardened individuals may bring judgment on themselves. I do believe that many times, even as Christians, if a person truly believes in Christ, it may be that they grow so cold in their relationship that they no longer want to hear, desire to hear from God anymore. And that, again, is a dangerous place to be. So let's look at verses 7 through 8. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and and, uh, and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. So Hebrews draws the same distinctions between faith and faith and uh, faith and fruitfulness. Jesus gives this point in Matthew seven seventeen through eighteen. Good trees produce good fruit, 
bad trees produce bad fruit. Okay? If God has done a work in a person's life, they're going to be known by their fruit. And it's not something that a person has to work at doing. It's something that's going to naturally come from the person's life because their desires have been changed. Their, their wants and passions have been changed. So a good tree produces good fruit, and that sap in that person's life is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Now, in contrast, bad trees produce bad fruit. And so a person without Christ, a person without the Holy Spirit in, in one's life, they're not going to produce good fruit, and they're going to uh, look to do self-motivated things. So, so as, as, in, as far as this first section goes, we see three applications. One, believers should learn the fundamentals of the faith, but not just stay there. We need to grow intellectually and doctrinally in the faith as it leads to maturity. Secondly, just as it is impossible for a person to re-crucify Christ, it is impossible for a person to to uh, to truly, um, if God has done a work in that person's life, to, to just basically um, give it up completely. There's going to be something in that person's life that's going to compel them because at the end of the day we have to ask ourselves a question, do we save ourselves or does God save us? And if God saves us, he does a transformation in our lives. So true repentance and faith will produce good works. Now let's look at our second section. Uh, endurance comes with evidence of possession. And this is verses 9 through 12. And there's a little, there's a little slide here that says, Grace is free, but it is not cheap. It costs someone something, okay? And that someone is, of course, Christ. It costs Christ everything. You know, it didn't cost us anything, but cost him everything to give us salvation. So, let's take a look at the verses here. Hebrews 6, 9. Hebrews 6, 9 says, Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. So, Hebrews gives some severe warnings. Now the writer offers encouragement. And he tells them about the warning of apostasy. He tells them that we need to grow in our relationship with Christ, that we need to develop into maturity. And he talks about the, um, the dangers of sliding back, backwards. The possibilities of having a, a hardened heart are, are very real. So he gives some encouragement at this juncture. Notice that the author calls the people dearly loved friends. This illustrates the personal connection that he has with his listeners. And also he says that he's confident of things that are better, which indicates the author believed his listeners to be saved and that he expected better things to come from their spiritual development that pertain to salvation. So he is encouraging them. He says, he says to them, I know you can do better. And if whoever wrote the book of Hebrews were to write a letter to our own nation, to the church of our own time, it makes me wonder what he would have to say about us. Would he write encouraging words and exhorting us to, to grow and develop in our faith? Uh, or, or would he provide these warnings that we see? Or maybe a little bit of both. Now verse 10, it reads, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve him. The author had three reasons for, for having confidence that his friends 
were were in possession of this spiritual salvation. One, they had the evidence of work. The people had labored in Jesus' name. Two, they had the evidence of love. A Christian will have love in his or her heart. John says this in 1 John 4, 8, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If we were to stand in a courtroom today and we were judged whether or not we were to be a Christian or not by the evidence of love in our lives, would we have enough evidence to convict us as believers in Christ? And lastly, they had the justice of God. Since God was just, he would not overlook the fruit in the believer's life lives, so they were called to produce just fruit. So, um, Hebrews six eleven through 12 says this, Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. So the author gave the, an encouragement and a warning. The encouragement was, the writer encouraged the listeners to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. This showed the people two things. One, they had assurance of their salvation, which freed them to develop and grow. And two, they could imitate the people of faith they had previously known, being imitators of those who inherit the promise, promises through faith and perseverance. Now, the ultimate the ultimate uh, imitation we need to have, the ultimate model for our lives should be found in Christ Jesus. But perhaps there's someone in your life that's blessed you. Maybe they've proven themselves to be a faithful Christian. They may be a model that you want to imitate, but ultimately realize that Christ is the only perfect model. Now this encouragement came, but he also gave this warning. People were warned against complacency and laziness. Lazy Christianity leads to bad ends and actually eventually stunts a person's relationship with Christ. If they did not grow, they would lapse into immaturity. And my friend, I wonder if if that's not the problem with the American church today. We've had it really good. We've had it really good as believers. It makes me wonder if we haven't fallen back, lapsed into immaturity because of being able to have it as good as we have. Genuine Christianity is going to produce works. And as Christians, it's easy for us to become complacent. But complacency is dangerous as it does not produce growth. It doesn't produce fruit. So let's close with this final section, verses 13 through 20. We see that endurance comes with encouragement with possession. In Hebrews 6, 19, as we're going to read, says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now let's look at verse 13. So he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. Simply put, there's not a name higher than the name of God by which to swear by, uh, by which to swear. So he swears by his own name, which is the highest name possible uh, to use. And then he quotes in verses 14 through 15, he quotes Genesis 22:17, saying, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And verse 15 says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. 
God promised what seemed to be an impossibility to the aged Abraham and Sarah for them to have a child as Abraham was a hundred and Sarah was ninety. That's the reason she laughed. <laughs> That's why her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah, the one who laughs. But we have an assurance through God's faithfulness that he is going to live up to his promises. What may seem to be impossible to us is very possible to him. Now, verses 16 through 17 says this, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. But because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. And remember, this oath was not by a name that would fail, but by the highest name of all, and that is his very own name. So God guaranteed our salvation with an oath. And all the promises of God will be fulfilled as God cannot lie. Read Titus 1-2. It's an impossibility for God to lie. So if God makes you a promise, it's a done deal. So if, you, if, if there is a God, which I believe there is, and if Jesus is the Son of God, which I believe He is, if that triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit makes you a promise, rest assured, it's as good as done. And God cannot lie. He is absolutely pure and holy, as we see in Psalm 99.9 and Psalm 77.13. Again, if God promises you something, He will deliver it just as He says He will. It's not a question of if we'll go to heaven. It's a, promise, it's, it's a question of when we'll go to heaven because we can trust in the promises of God just that securely. In verses 18 through 20, it says this, So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you catch that? Just like Titus 1-2 says, it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Here he's talking about the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies but now we have access to the inner sanctum of God's temple in the very presence of God himself because of what Christ has done for us. <clears throat> Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. He has gone into the Holy of Holies on your behalf and on my behalf, and because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So five things we see in verses 18 through 21. Their hope is found in the trustworthiness of God. This is a fundamental aspect of God's holy nature. It is impossible for Him to lie. That's why when God makes you a promise, it's as good as done. You can bet your bottom dollar that it's going to be just as God promised it to be. And understand this, we serve a God of possibilities. There is nothing impossible for him except to lie and to act against his own moral nature. Secondly, they could possess that hope by possessing it and maturing in their understanding of it in verse 18. Thirdly, they had a secure anchor in Jesus Christ who provides the ultimate assurance. He is the anchor of our souls. Fourth, the hope we have in Christ entered the inner sanctuary as an ultimate high priest, which means Christ is the only high priest you need. He entered the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, 
and sprinkled the blood on the on the ark of God to atone your sins. He could only do it because it required a perfect sacrifice, and he was your perfect sacrifice. And lastly, Jesus' priesthood is eternal, meaning that his intercession does not cease. He is your advocate. He is your mediator. And he appeals your case for all eternity. So, what are some applications we can take from this? Number one, God is faithful and cannot lie. God will come through with all of his promises. If he's made a promise to you, it's as good as done because God can't lie. Number two, with Christ, we have an ultimate assurance of salvation. Now, I'm not going to, again, I didn't get into all the debates about whether you can lose your salvation or not lose your salvation. But one of the things we can see through this, no matter what spectrum you are, uh, you find yourself, we can have an assurance of our salvation. And that's one thing we clearly see, I believe, in this chapter. We clearly see that we have an assurance of our salvation. And lastly, with Jesus as our priest, we have assurance but that assurance should encourage us to work hard for Christ and to grow continually. I remember there was a lady who, knew, knowing I was a Baptist, told me, she said, there's one thing about you Baptists I don't like. She says, I, I don't like the fact that you guys believe you can be saved and then live like the devil the rest of your lives. And I told her, ma'am, I said, if that's what Baptists believe, I would not be one. Because obviously we believe that God works a work in a person's life. He brings forth a transformation and that person's life should be changed. Not because of their good works, but because of the amazing work that God has done in that person's life. And friend, if you're here today and you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this video, if you're listening to the sound of my voice in any capacity, however you may be doing it, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Unfortunately, there are many people who don't believe in giving an evangelistic call anymore. I'm not one of them. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, I, I exhort you, I appeal to your senses to, to, to answer that gnawing at your heart. That gnawing at your heart is the Holy Spirit of God who is leading you to salvation. If you've never made that profession of faith, if you've never accepted Christ, do so. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with Him. So come and receive Him today. Now our next study is going to be in chapter 7 as we talk about Jesus, the provider of a greater priesthood. And we'll talk a little bit more about this mysterious Melchizedek in our next lesson. Well, this has been Brian Chilton. We thank you for joining us. May God richly bless you. And remember that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. 
The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.